Well, if you did bring your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11, because our sermon text comes from John chapter 11 today, starting in verse 17 through verse 44. John 11, 17 through 44. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look in the pew in front of you. Maybe you will find one there. Listen then, church, to the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted his up, his, up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that you would be present with us, speaking to us through this word and teaching us, O Lord. Help us to learn to trust you, God, and we ask and we pray that you would take us from faith to faith, that as you did with Mary and Martha and the disciples, that you would do so with us, growing up our faith in you and our trust that our Lord Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. 
And we pray all this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're coming back to this account this morning of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead with a particular interest this morning in the truth that Jesus states when he calls himself the resurrection and the life. Now, any man can, can make that claim. Any man could claim to be the resurrection and the life. But Jesus, after he says this to Martha, he does something very important. He validates his claim to be the resurrection and the life by raising this man who had been dead for four days, Lazarus, raising him up from the dead. So what are we supposed to take from this? What, what does this story do for our faith? Well, that's what we're going to consider today. Last week, we noted that Jesus told his disciples that he was actually glad. And, and, and at first glance, when we read this, we're like, what do you mean he, you're glad that you weren't there and Lazarus died? Well, he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there. I'm glad that we didn't get to Lazarus before he died and I healed him because then you, you would, we would not have the occasion for your faith to grow. I'm glad that I wasn't there so that, he says, so that you might believe so that you might believe in, in other words, so that you might believe in me as the resurrection and the life. So our Lord's intention in this story, and we covered this last week, was to grow the faith of his disciples and to grow the faith of his friends, Mary and Martha. In response to her profession that she believes that her brother will rise again on the last day, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then he puts Martha to the test. Do you believe this, Martha? Now, there's a sense in which the readers of this gospel, all of us, when we read this gospel, we're put to that test as well. Because in this story, we're faced with the reality of who Jesus is, and the very question, do you believe this, comes to us. Do I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and life? Not just in theory, but in a personal, in a practical way. And what about the demonstration of his power to raise Lazarus up? How does that miracle put my faith to the test? What assurance, what hope, what comfort does this bring to me as a believer in Jesus Christ? So that's a bit of where we're headed this morning. And our outline is this. First, his claim, then his question, and then finally his command. His claim, his question, his command. And in case you didn't notice, that's alliteration. And even though question starts with a Q phonetically, it starts with a K, just like claim and command. You say K, yes, phonetically it's a K. K, it's that sound. So it's easy to remember. You should go away from here and you should remember this sermon for a long time. It all started with K, the claim, the question, and the command. So first, his claim. Starting in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That was a statement of faith, right? It's hard to know what Martha was thinking when she said that, but that was a statement of her faith in the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, we shouldn't look down on Martha for her misunderstanding of what Jesus was getting at. When, when Jesus said, your brother will rise again, we shouldn't um, look down on her for thinking that Jesus was speaking of the last day. 
She was assuming that Jesus was trying to comfort her with the hope of, of the resurrection, that um, many of the Jews believed, based on the Old Testament, that there would be a day of resurrection. One day, on the last day, God would raise up all of his people. Even Jesus had spoken of that day where all the dead would be raised, some to eternal life and some to eternal judgment. He spoke of that in John 5. So not knowing that Jesus was about to raise her brother from his grave on that very day, it makes sense that she would assume that Jesus was speaking of some event in the distant future wherein all the dead would be raised up. But notice that Jesus doesn't correct her by saying, you know, he could have said, no, Martha, I'm not speaking of the resurrection on the last day. I mean that your brother is going to rise again today. Now, that would have been true, wouldn't it? But that wasn't what Jesus wanted Martha to see and believe in that moment. The raising of Lazarus was evidence of something far greater than the act itself. Even far greater than their sisters getting their brother back from the dead for a season. And I say season because remember, it was only a season of life after all. The bodies of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all in the grave today. So what does Jesus draw her attention to? Well, he draws her attention to himself as the resurrection and the life. She says to him, Lord, I I know my brother will rise on the resurrection day in the end. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. You see, he's, what he's doing is he's drawing her focus away from this belief in a distant future event that for her may have had no connection whatsoever to him, to, to Christ. And he's saying, I'm the one, Martha, I'm the one who raises up the dead. I'm the source of resurrection. I'm the source of life. It's by me that men and women are brought into life that though they die, yet shall they live. And once they have this life from me, even death can't take that life from them. And this is what Jesus wants Martha to see. That she would see Jesus as more than just a prophet, more than just a teacher, or more than just a a servant of God, but that she would see him as the one through whom resurrection and life would come to all of God's people. Because he came as the light. He came as the bread from heaven. He came as the resurrection. Now, think about that. When he talks about these things and he uses these metaphors, he, he doesn't just say that he came to give bread from heaven. No, he says, I'm the bread of heaven. And again, he didn't say, I've come to lead you to the light. What did he say earlier in John? He says, I am the light of the world. And likewise here with resurrection. He's not just saying, I'm here to lead you to resurrection. I'm here to show you the way of God's resurrection. No, he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Now, one of the important lessons that we learn from this is that Jesus doesn't just give these things to his people as if the gifts are separate from himself. Think about this. He doesn't give eternal life as something that is separate from himself. He doesn't promise resurrection in the end as something to be granted two individuals as separate from himself. No, what's actually happening is that Jesus is, he is the resurrection and the life. So when God gave his son, he gave us resurrection and life. And when Jesus offers men life, he is offering us himself. And the way we receive those gifts actually is by being united to the person of Christ. We get life and we get resurrection 
by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. And the way the scripture says we're united to him is by faith, is by believing in him, is by trusting in him as the resurrection and the life. So it is that all who believe in Jesus are spiritually united to the source of life, Jesus himself. And as Jesus says of them in verse 25, he says, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, what's our Lord saying there? Well, he's saying that for those who believe in him, though they die physically, they will yet live. For one, their souls will continue on in the presence of God. And furthermore, they will live again when Jesus Christ raises their dead bodies from the grave. But then in verse 26, he says this, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In other words, those who have this life through faith in me, they will never die. Now, some of you might be saying, hold up, wait a minute, something doesn't sound right. Don't we die? Right? Is Jesus saying that Christians, people who believe in him, they don't die? Well, no, actually, he's not speaking. When he says that, he's not speaking of physical death. Keep in mind that Jesus, when he said this, Jesus knew, we already know in John, Jesus knew of his impending death. He knew he was going to the cross. So Jesus isn't speaking of physical death there. Rather, he's speaking of spiritual, spiritual, or we might even call it eternal death. That for those who believe on him, they will never be separated from God in life with their Savior. They will never die in that sense. Death may put their bodies to rest for a season. And even in that season, their souls will be in the presence of the Lord who will one day raise up their bodies again. So they will never die. In other words, death will never have victory over them because the life that they have in Jesus Christ, they will always have. So that's our Lord's claim. He's the resurrection and the life. He says, all who believe in me will live. They will have new spiritual life. The life that comes from Christ in union with their Savior Jesus. And death will never take this life from them. Being united to their Savior, they will be given victory over death and have life everlasting. Now then our Lord, after drawing Martha's attention to this revelation of who he is and the life he gives, he asks her the pertinent and the pressing question. Let's read those verses again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into this world. Now, you see how Jesus puts this question to Martha. You might even say he puts her to the test. First, he speaks of himself as the resurrection and the life so that she's being led from this abstract sort of faith in a future event to confidence and trust in a person in Jesus Christ. And then he asks her the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? He wants Martha to profess personal belief in him as the son of God, who is the source of life, who has power over death. And she does. She says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. You are the son of God who is coming into the world. So he spoke to her the truth of who he is. And that truth, it confronted her previous conception of Jesus. It confronted her understanding of the resurrection. 
that it was found in a person, not just in a distant event that was disconnected from Jesus. And that is what the word of Christ does even today. It comes to men and women as they read this gospel. And what happens as we read this gospel? We're faced with the reality, with the truth of who Jesus is. As we read the gospel of John, we're faced with his authority here. We're faced with his identity as the eternal son of God. We're faced with his power to raise the dead up to life. We're faced with his mission. What did he come to do and accomplish? The salvation of his people for the glory of God the Father. In all of those truths, what does it do to men as they read the gospel? It confronts them. It challenges their misconceptions. It confronts their false notions. And it puts them, even those who identify as Christians, even to us, it puts them to the test. It puts us to the test. Do you believe this? Jesus says he's the resurrection and he's the life. He says that whoever believes in him will live. And the life they have in him is one that cannot be taken away by death. And so the simple question is, do you believe? Do you believe this? And and don't be so quick to dismiss this as a question only fit for the wayward and rebellious sinner who denies the existence of God. They don't believe it, but do you? And is your faith in Jesus more than just a belief that he is going to do something that he's far off and distant and he's going to do something in the far off and distant future? Do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life in a way that actually impacts your life today? Are you trusting in him as your living and reigning savior who knows you just like Jesus knew Martha? And is at work in your life just like Jesus was at work in Martha's life? Your savior who has given you life. You believe in him and you can testify that he has given me life. Jesus is, you see, taking Martha from faith to faith. He's calling her to believe more about him than she had believed before about him. He's prompting her to trust him as the resurrection and the life in the face of what? In the face of her brother's death. Do you believe, Martha? Will you trust me even now and today as the one who has the power over death? As the one who has eternal life in his very being and gives that life to those who trust in him? You see, that's what our Lord does. He takes us from faith to faith. And in various circumstances and at various times, the question comes rightly to us. Do you believe? Do you believe me? Will you trust me? Will you believe my promises? Will you believe my word? Now, I feel I must speak directly this morning to those of you who may be in an ambiguous place when it comes to your faith. Let me spell it out for you a little bit. Perhaps you've been on the fringes of Christianity. Maybe for the last several years, four, five, six years, you've been in and out of church. Of course, when somebody asks you to believe in God, you would say, well, I believe there's a God who made the world and and you believe in Jesus. Well, I believe that there was a teacher and a man called Jesus and he's connected somehow to God. I'm not sure exactly how, but now this word of Christ comes to you and it's very specific. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the son of God and all who believe in him, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will have life. And the question is for you this morning, do you believe this? Do you merely have an ambiguous faith in an abstract God that can't really be known by anyone surely? Or do you believe that Jesus Christ 
is the revelation of the one true God who took on flesh, who walked on this earth, who died on the cross for your sins, and who is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, granting life to all who come to faith in him and put their trust in him. Now there's one other group I would like to direct this question to and press it home to you, and that's to those of you who are younger. Maybe to those of you who are teens or even those of you who are in your pre-teen years. Your parents have raised you in the faith. What a wonderful thing that is. They've taught you the gospel of Jesus. You know who God is, and do you know why you know who God is? Because God gave you parents that taught you. You know how wonderful that is? There are people who grow up and they don't even know that God made them. Of course they have problems with their self-esteem because they don't even know why they matter. They don't even know that they are important. Why? Because they don't know that they're made in the image of God. That God made them unique and special to image Him and to glorify Him, to know Him and praise Him. But you, you're different. You, God, God has given you a grace that He actually hasn't given to them. He's given you a privilege and you can praise God for that privilege. You've grown up in a Christian home. Your parents taught you who made you. If I asked you the question, who made you, you could say, God made me. And if I asked them, well, why did God make you? And why did God make all things? You could say, for his own glory. And if I said, well, but who is Jesus? You could say, he's the son of God and he's the son of man. And he's the savior of all who believe. But let me then put you the, to you the question that Jesus put to Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe it? Well, yes, your parents do, and praise God for that. But this morning, I'm asking you, oh children, oh youth, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, that he's your Savior? I want you to think about that, and then you can go home, and your parents are probably going to ask you, what did you think of Pastor Chuck's sermon when he was talking to you guys? Did you think about that? Do you believe? Now, one thing I want to say to those of you who are maybe younger... This is, this is especially applicable to those of you who are, you haven't reached your teen years, maybe you're eight, maybe you're six, maybe you're five, maybe you're 10. Something I wanna encourage you to do, because you might say, well, I think I believe, I'm not sure. How do I grow in, in the knowledge of, how do I grow in that? How do I know that I believe in, in God? Well, one thing I wanna encourage you to do, and this is very simple, is at your age, you can go to God in prayer, can't you? Your parents have led you in prayer. You're six, you're eight, you're 10. When you sit down to eat at the dinner table, what do you usually do before you eat your food? Or, sorry, after a few of you have taken, snuck a few bites because the food looks so good and you were so hungry. What does your dad usually do? He usually gives thanks. And what do I mean by give thanks? Well, he gives thanks to the Lord and he prays. And when you go to bed at night, when your mom and dad tuck you in, what do they usually do? Well, a lot of times they pray with you, don't they? And they pray that God would protect you and keep you safe at night and give you good dreams. And then they thank God for sending Jesus. And what's happening as they're doing that? They're actually teaching you how to pray. And this is wonderful. No matter how young you are, you could be eight, you could be six, you could be five, you could be four. You can start praying to God even now. You can pray to God at any time. You can ask him for his help. You can tell him the things you're afraid of. 
You can pray and ask him as you're going to sleep at night, Lord, please give me good dreams. Help me not to have any bad dreams. And God, if I wake up and I'm scared, help me to trust you. You can ask him for wisdom. You can give him thanks for all the things he's given you. You can give him thanks for giving, him, giving you Jesus Christ. You can give him thanks for giving you a family that loves you. And you know what happens as you pray, young children, as you start to pray to God about those things, you know what happens? Your faith begins to grow. You'll become more and more confident that you really do believe in Jesus, that it's not just your parents' faith, but it's your faith. And why? Because you're learning to interact with God yourself. You know, you're acting on your beliefs that God is real and he actually hears you when you call out to him and that when, when you pray to him. So go home today, kids, and talk to your parents about this because I'm sure your parents would love to talk to you about this. So then our Lord makes the claim. He's the resurrection and the life. He asks Mary the question, do you believe, which shows the importance of a personal response to Jesus, that, that response that Jesus demands from all who hear the truth about him. And then we come finally to the, um, to the command. So the claim, the question, and now we come to Christ's command. Now you might be wondering, well, what command is that? What command are you speaking of? It's the command to Lazarus to come out of the grave. The command which raised Lazarus up from the dead after he had been in the grave for four whole days. Now that's something that John tells us twice in this story. Maybe you noticed that. John is at, goes to great lengths to make sure his readers know that this man, Lazarus, was surely dead. Okay, so verse 17, we're told that when Jesus came to Bethany, Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. And then what happens when Jesus gets to the cave? Which, by the way, in this time, they would often use caves as places to bury their loved ones. So Lazarus was placed in this cave. And Jesus comes to the cave and he says, take the stone away. And Martha, it's interesting, after Martha said, Lord, I know that it, it, um, if you ask anything of God, he'll answer your prayer. And then she, he says, I'm the resurrection and life. Do you believe this? And then she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God. And yet when Jesus comes to the tomb and he says, roll the stone away, what does Martha say? Oh, wait, hold up, hold up. The old version says, he stinketh. He's been dead four days. He stinketh. And the new version says something like, there will be an odor. It sounds a lot nicer. <laughs> Sometimes you miss the old versions, though. Why? Why? What is, what's Martha's problem? Well, Martha says, he's been dead for four days. In other words, we're getting, um, his flesh is starting to rot, and there's going to be a bad smell. So what's happening? John is telling us, time after time, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha actually right there, Martha is referred to, if you look closely, Martha's not referred to as the sister of, of Mary, but the sister of the dead man. What is John doing there? He's reinforcing to us, he was dead. You know, this is important because at that time, there was, there was a belief that the spirit for a couple days would hover over the body. And so for the first couple days, maybe the person wasn't entirely dead. Lazarus was dead beyond a shadow of the doubt, a doubt, even to the Jews at that time. He was really and truly dead. So he, he wasn't, none of the Jews at that time would have said like Miracle Max, you know, and Princess Bride, what does he say? He's just mostly dead. He's not all dead. No, but Lazarus, John wants us to see, and all the Jews knew, Lazarus was all dead. Now, I want, I want us to get something, though, very clear about this miracle. Jesus raises Lazarus up. 
And like all other miracles in John's gospel, this was a sign. He was a dead man. His flesh was rotting. He, was already, he already smelled because he had been dead for four days. And Jesus raises him up. And what's the significance of it? It's a sign. Now, as incredible as it was for Mary and Martha to have their brother back, it actually wasn't ultimately about that. You know, this story isn't ultimately about Jesus reuniting families together who were separated. It's not ultimately about that, or it's not even ultimately about Lazarus himself. You'll notice that after, after Jesus raises Lazarus, how much attention does John give to the story of Lazarus being united to his sisters? And John says, and they hugged and they embraced and they cried and they cried and they stayed up all night telling stories of what had happened. And how much attention does John give? None. Did you notice that? John gives absolutely no attention to the reunion of the sisters with Lazarus after he's raised from the grave. And why is that? Is it just because John is cold hearted? My goodness, John, can't you give us some of the, we like the feel good parts of the story. Give us the feel good part. Well, why does he not give us the feel good part? Because the miracle, and John wants us to see this, the miracle was ultimately about the revelation of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. It was a sign that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. It was the sign that verified his claim that he had just made to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And he raises this dead man up. Who can raise the dead? Only one. Only the one who is the resurrection and the life. He comes to the mouth of the cave and he commands this dead man to come out with two words. Well, three if we include Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. That's all he says. And when Jesus said those few words, the cold, dead heart of Lazarus, rotting heart of Lazarus began to beat again. When Jesus said those two words, come out, the dead and rotting flesh was suddenly and instantly restored. The synapses in his static brain suddenly began to fire like that when Jesus said, come out. And Lazarus got up and Lazarus came out. You see, it was a mighty display of our Lord's power over death. He is the resurrection and life. What did he have to do? Say the word. And Lazarus was alive. And not only was it a display of his power, it was a preview of his resurrection that would soon come in John. And even a preview of the day when he raises us up, all believers up in glorified bodies like his own. So in this miracle, there's this great assurance to believers that our Savior really does have the keys of death in his hand, as John says in Revelation chapter 1. While our enemy death is still at work in this world, we read this story and we're reminded that Christ came to put death in its grave and that he has the power to do so and that one day he will. He is the resurrection and the life. And that means for those who believe in him, though they die, yet they will rise again on that day when Jesus gives the command, come out, and all who belong to him actually hear him and obey. Now there's one more element to this that gives hope and comfort to believers in the here and now. We could speak of many of the implications of Jesus raising Lazarus up, but I just want to talk about one more. And that is that this miracle 
also illustrates for us the power of Christ to give life to those who are in a state of spiritual death. Christ's power to raise up the dead is not only a power that will raise up the dead in Christ on the last day, it is his power to raise up the spiritually dead even now. Now in this way, we tend to play the part of Mary and Martha, don't we? What did Mary and Martha do when Jesus got there? They both said, if only you had been here sooner. And what are they saying? What were they saying to Jesus? They're saying, Lazarus is now too far gone. He's out of your reach. And we judge certain people that way, spiritually speaking. We judge them to be too far gone. We judge them to be too far out of the reach of Christ. Maybe they're hardened in their rebellion against God, and we've seen that in their lives. Maybe they're blind to the glory of Christ and the goodness of the gospel. They want nothing to do with it. They think it's laughable that you come here every Sunday to worship the triune God. They only want to follow the desires of their hearts. Now, some of you have family members who are in this state. Maybe you have brothers or sisters like this, a mother or a father, a son or a daughter. And it might be that you've given up hope that they will ever come to the light of Christ. Yet this story comes to you this morning, and this is what it does. It assures you that even in their state of their rebellion, they are not out of our Savior's reach. He's the resurrection and the life. Even when they seem so far from turning, when their lives bear the fruit of death and destruction, they are still not out of his reach. Why? Because our Savior is the resurrection and the life. He can change the leopard spots, we sing. He can melt the heart of stone. He can, and we learn this from this story, he can command the dead to rise up and they will rise up. So I just want to say to you today as we close, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Don't stop praying for God to do a miracle in their life. Let the story of Lazarus assure you of Christ's power to command the dead to rise. And don't forget that you... You once were dead in your trespasses and sins, and the Lord raised you up, giving you the eyes to see the glory of Christ and giving you hearts that actually desire Him. And if He did it in your life, He can do it in theirs. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, for those that we have in mind today, who don't know you, we pray that you would do this in their lives. What you've done in ours, that you have given the command, come out, let light shine out of darkness, so that we were given the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do that in their lives and help us to walk by faith, Lord, trusting that our Lord Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He has the keys of death in his hand. And he gives life by a word, by his power. We pray that 
we would see you at work doing that in the lives of those around us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.